Well, good afternoon, everybody. What a great word. Thank you, uh, brother. What a great, great time of great word. I want to just say uh, just a little connection. We had a we have a professional fisherman in our church named Nick Laboon. Look him up. They call him Laboom. And I'm, I mean, he doesn't just fish for a hobby, y'all. He, he is one of the best in the world. Uh, Bassmaster, FL, all of them. And uh, is, uh, came to faith in Jesus Christ. Was adamant, not going to do it, not going to do it. His wife and him were about to divorce. He walked into church. We were having a harvest day with Mr. Bill Britt back there, Big Poppy. And uh, Bill got up and said, uh, I'm not even going to preach. I'm going to give an invitation before I preach. And so someone needs to get saved. And Nick Laboom jumped up and ran forward and gave his life to Christ that day. Now he's traveling all over the country uh, fishing and telling people about Jesus. He's amazing. And, uh, but he is mentoring him. And so what a great, great connection there. So I, I love it. And I also use that time to tell you as a pastor, if you don't have harvest days, let me just encourage you to do so. We're big on them at Cyprus. Uh, they work, people still come to the altar, and people still get saved, amen? And so we love it. I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 17 is where we'll be in just a moment. I want to thank Brother Keith and uh, our entire state team, of course, uh, Dr. Horn, and, and of course, Miss Julie. Miss Julie's really the one running things, so thank you. Uh, and uh, you learned that real quick behind the scenes, but thank you. Uh, what an honor to be here, and I'm, I'm proud to be a Louisiana Baptist, and I'm proud to uh, pastor a church uh, in Louisiana, a Southern Baptist church in North Bossier Parish in Benton, Louisiana. Uh, if you, whenever I first, 14 years ago, they called me to be their pastor, I Googled Benin because they were saying Benin, Louisiana, and I didn't understand that it was Benton, but you don't say Benton, you say Benin. And so I'm so glad to be from there. I was born and raised in Midwest City, Oklahoma. Does anybody know where that is? Big Papa, you preach there. Yeah, we have an Air Force base there called Tinker Air Force Base. Uh, used to be the home of the B-52. Now I live in Bossier, uh, where Barksdale, the home of the B-52. I just think God has a connection with these B-52s or something to me. And so I love it. I did not grow up in church. Um, I, I did not take uh, the normal route to being a pastor. Most of my friends that are pastors went to Bible college, got saved, went, grew up in church, went to Bible college, went to seminary, uh, and pastor. I didn't do any of, the, uh, any of that. Uh, I got saved uh, later in life. As a matter of fact, whenever I tell people I didn't go, go to church, listen to this. I, I remember my mother one time saying, let's go to church on Easter. And my dad said, nope, we ain't going because that'll make us blanking hypocrites we ain't gonna be hypocrites and just go once a year so we you know of course as kids were like good let's don't go and so I never ever ever went to church and it was just something we didn't do I met a girl who said if you're gonna date me you're gonna go to church and I said you're pretty enough I'll go to church and so I went to church every Sunday and every Sunday we would sit on the same pew and every Sunday, they'd give an invitation. And every Sunday, I'd close my eyes and just have my head down and count those seconds to get out of there. And every Sunday, I'd look, and her father and her dad, who became my father-in-law, is just looking at me, just staring at me like, boy, you better get up. And I would not. I got married uh, in 1988. And the day I got married and said, I do, I quit going to church. 
My wife would get up every Sunday morning and she'd go to church and she'd say, will you go to church with me? And I'd say, no, I'm not. And she'd say, okay. She never nagged me. She never rode me. She never did anything like that. I would hit the golf course and I'd say, hey, I'll meet you after church at your parents for Sunday dinner. And my goal, and I've got church members here, I'm, in, I'm embarrassed to say this, but I'll say it. I, I've got, my goal was to not be too drunk so that she wouldn't get mad at me being drunk at her parents' house. That was my goal on Sunday mornings playing golf. And so that was my life. As a matter of fact, I'm an 18, 19, 20-year-old married guy, and I am absolutely clueless about life. Everything that I touch is a mess. My marriage is a mess. My work is a mess. I'm trying to go to school. It's a mess. My friends are a mess. Everything that I'm doing is a mess. And I lay in bed every night, listen to this, and I have absolutely no peace in my life. I think sometimes that we in the church forget how miserable the people are out there. They're hurting. They're miserable. The peace, all I wanted was just to be able to lay down and just say, I just want to be able to sleep and have some peace. Easter 1991, I got up and I told my wife, my life had, had hit several walls without going into a lot of details. It was just a mess. And so Easter came along and I said, you know what, I'm going to give this thing a try. And so I got up Easter morning and Darla said, you going to church with me? And I said, I am. And she didn't, didn't act surprised, to, but I knew she was. And she tells me now that she almost fell out. And I said, well, I'm just going to go. It'll be easier to get to your parents for Sunday dinner. So I'll just go with you. And we went and went right across the street from our little apartment. And I heard a guy preach. And that day he talked about why I had no peace. I had no peace because I was in opposition to my creator. That my sin caused me to, to, to be at, at, at odds with him. I said that day in my head, oh, goodness gracious, that's why I'm miserable. I'm flipping God off every day. I wasn't, but in my mind, that's the way I thought. I'm just snubbing my nose at God. That's why I don't have any peace. And then he told me about the good news of Jesus Christ. And folks, I ran forward that morning, Easter 1991, and gave my life to Christ. And folks, he absolutely turned my life inside out and upside down. He changed everything. It went, it, it, it became amazing. My cousins who I ran with, I had a large family in Midwest City, Dell City there. We were on both sides of the town. And I'm telling you, we ran the town. We were all over the place. There were so many of us. And we real quickly, they got to where they would avoid me. Every time I'd show up uh, at, an, how, at a, an event, they would run out the back door because they knew what I was going to do. I was going to preach to them. I caught one of them one time running out the door, and I grabbed him by his shirt, and I said, you tell the rest of them, I, and I started naming them, you tell them, I catch them running on me again, and I'm going to whip them, all right? And I hadn't been saved very long, but that's what I told them. I saw on TV where they had had a riot at an amusement park there in Oklahoma City. It was called Frontier City. It's still there today. And I said to myself, I looked at my wife, and I said, those kids need Jesus. And she said, yeah. And I was reading in Romans, how will they hear without a proclaimer? And I thought, well, I'll go. And so I learned a magic trick. I learned a stupid magic trick with a fake thumb, and I'd put $20 in my pocket, and I'd go and I'd stand on the fountain as, they, as the amusement park would shut down and I would get a crowd of them waiting on their rides and I'd get their attention with a stupid magic trick and in 60 seconds I'd give them the gospel. I, then I found out that I would tell them, I'd say, all right, I've got $20 and if you'll pay attention at the end, I'm going to give $20 away. They'd stand around for, for about 10 minutes so I could, and they, for $20. The State uh, Baptist Association, the Oklahoma Baptist Convention, heard about what I was doing 
called me and asked me if I would come, and, the, and I went and met with a guy named Wayne Bristow. And Brother Wayne was the evangelism director for the state of Oklahoma, and I didn't know anything about anything. He said, son, do you feel called? And I said, called to what? And I said, what do you mean called? And he said, you feel called to ministry? And I said, man, I don't even know what that means. No, I just need somebody who who will help me. I, I, I need someone who can come out and hand out tracts with me because I've got hundreds of kids, and so they'd send teams out with me. I'd stand up and, 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 and proclaim, and then there'd be people standing around, and then would just intermingle and hand out tracts. Folks, what I'm trying to say to you, what I'm trying to tell you is this. We have got to understand the urgency of the gospel. And we have to understand that what people really, really want and what people really need, whenever I got saved, Man, I, I, I wanted, and I, I'm so church now, and I'm, I'm so uh, involved in church, and everybody I'm around is, is Christian. I literally started playing tennis, and I know, I don't look like a tennis player. Thank you for, for, for acknowledging that, but I don't. And I play tennis now just so I can be around lost people. And I've got two people in my life right now that I'm telling you, they, they'll, they'll cuss, and they'll look at me and go, I'm sorry, preacher. And I'll say, you're all right. And they'll hit a bad shot and cuss, and they'll look at me and go, I know, preacher, I'm sorry, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying. Man, I'm, around, I'm playing tennis with them for one reason, so I can lead them to Christ. That's it. So I, I want to show you something. I want to I make a couple statements to you. I'm of the deep conviction, and, and again, I'm not here to stomp on you. I, I'm here to encourage you. Uh, I, I want us to understand something. I, I'm of the deep belief, I, whenever I got saved and got in church, I, I was shocked for about two things. Number one, I was shocked that Christians drank. I, I won't go there. But I was shocked by that because I knew what alcohol had done in my family and my life and destroyed everybody I knew. And so I got in, God, man, I couldn't get it out of my life quick enough. I got in church, found out Christians drank. And I was like, that don't make sense. The other thing I found out was, is that, nobody, that Christians don't share their faith. And it absolutely boggled my mind. Now watch this. Here's my statement to you. I'm, I'm, I'm going to come to preaching now. Watch this. Most Christians run to discipleship but we run from evangelism. Now, I'm not against discipleship. I'm a disciple. I'm, man, I'm for it. I, I will say this, though. I, I interview staff. I, I, I let my exec team go and find the people they want. They bring them. I do the final interview. And listen, one of the first thing I ask them, tell me about your soul winning. They start telling me about their discipleship. They don't get a job at my church. I need soul winners. I need people who are going to win people to Jesus. So with that in mind, I want you to look at Acts chapter 17. I, I'm, I'm going to be nice from now on, okay? Acts chapter 17. I love this text. I've stood on Mars Hill. Y'all, Anybody ever been to Mars Hill and stood? Beautiful, beautiful place. Really, really encourage you to go sometime. So Paul is, you remember his first missionary journey, he goes and he's all over the Asia Minor, right? He goes back on his second missionary journey, back to the Asia Minor, when he has a vision, uh, a, the Macedonian vision, of a Macedonian saying, come to Macedonia. Macedonia is simply northern Greece. It's the home of Philip. It's the home of Alexander the Great. It was, it was a thriving area. So, so Paul travels there. It's there that he goes, and remember he goes to Philippi, and he meets a lady by the name of Lydia, leads her to Christ. We believe she's the first European convert uh, it's there that he goes to Berea, he goes to Thessalonica, and then he travels, he run out of every place by the same uh, Thessalonican Jews, following him around, picking on him. He finally lands in Athens, 
And it's there that he is among the who's who. It's there that he comes to this, the center of the world, Rome, Athens, the, the, the Rome politically and, and militarily, Athens uh, for their culture and their thinking. And that's where Paul finds himself. And then Acts chapter 17, verse 22, we find out that Paul gets the floor. Now, they would go to this place and they would put on trial the thoughts and the ideas that one another had. It was a place where philosophers and great thinkers and very influential men would go and discuss ideas. And, and, and so they would put on thought all of these, on trial, all of these thoughts and all of these things. So there was a who's who, the, the smartest, most brilliant thinkers right here. And watch what Paul does. And so that's the, that's the in 17, chapter 17, verse 22. So Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus. And he said, men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar to the inscription to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. The God who made this world and all the things in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made by hands. Now watch what, the, watch what Paul does. Paul is a brilliant man himself. Paul is a scholar who's been trained since he was a kid. He had to, had to kind of be retrained. But Paul is a brilliant thinker. We know that. We can see that through his writing. We can see that Paul was a great, great man, a great thinker. But notice that Paul doesn't get in and get into the, 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 all of the debates and all of the things that are going on. He says, I just want to bring you a simple truth. Now watch this. So what happens is, in verse 22... Uh, Paul shows up again. Areopagus is is named. It's the when you go to Greece and you go to uh, uh, Rome, uh, to Greece, you'll go around and you'll see relics. You'll see all of these uh, temples and ancient pieces and all these things. And what happens is is you'll get there and your guide you'll will show you around and then you'll look over there and you go, "What's that?" And they're like, and your guide will literally go, "That's Roman. Never mind. Come on." They don't even want to acknowledge the Roman stuff. You with me? See, Areopagus is known because it was named after the, the, the god of war, Ares. It's literally in the shadow. Like if you stand on the Areopagus, you're there, and right here is the Parthenon. And, and there is the temple of the goddess Athena. Right next to it is a, is a temple to the, goddess, to the god Zeus. Well, the Romans have taken over, and so the Romans rename it after their god of war, Mars. And so we know it is Mars Hill. And so it's there that Paul finds himself. Now watch this. So he says, men of Athens. So who are the men of Athens? Well, I'm glad you asked, because in verse 18 that we didn't read, he tells us a couple of the groups that are there. First of all, the Epicureans are there. Now, Epicureans are, were very, very peculiar, but they were extremely, extremely smart. Their philosophy basically said that the pleasure, the chief goal of all life, is pleasure. That if, if you really want fulfillment in life, find what makes you happy. I mean, they're, they're completely would fit in very well today, right? I mean, everything that they say is, you know what, just find what makes you happy, and that's the chief end of man. The other people that are there are the Stoics. By the way, the Epicureans do believe in gods, but they believe gods kind of, kind of stay back and only get involved very, very rarely. Then the other group that Paul identifies, the book of Acts identifies, are the Stoics. 
The Stoics are the complete opposite of the Epicureans. They believe the chief principle of man, the chief goal of man, is that you should be above pleasure, and not only pleasure, but even pain. That, that you should be so above that stuff that you don't even acknowledge your pleasure and you don't even acknowledge pain. They also believe in gods, but really just kind of tolerate the gods. They, they believe that gods were more in things, but they really, really, really weren't, even, even compared to the Epicureans, they, they didn't even want gods, okay? And so that's the two groups that Paul identifies, the book of Acts identifies, that is there. Now watch what happens. Watch what Paul does in verse 23. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with an inscription to an unknown God. Paul uses what is before him to present the gospel. Paul sees where they're at and tries to meet them where they're at. One of the best soul winners I ever saw uh, was a guy that could, 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 no matter where you, no matter what conversation was going on, he could, he, he could slide into the gospel quicker than anybody ever saw. I watched him one time at a drive-thru at a McDonald's, walk up to a guy with a convertible Corvette, walked up and said, man, that's a great-looking car. And the guy said, hey, thanks, man. And he goes, hey, let me ask you something. Do you think there'll be Corvettes in heaven? And the guy went, huh? And he goes, well, even better question, will you be there to find out? And he walked with him all the way around the drive-thru just to share Christ with him, right? I mean, that, that's literally what Paul is doing here. Paul is saying, look, look let me, let me you, you have this obelisk that, that says to the unknown God. Paul said, well, let me use that. He says, I'll tell you who the unknown God is. Now look at this in verse 24. He's the God, the God who made the world and all things in it. So what Paul does is he says, let me tell you who Jesus is. This unknown God, I'm going to identify him in a second, but let, let me tell you who he is. He's unknown to you, and that's the key is that he's unknown to you. So let me introduce him to you, but first of all, and I'm going to give this to you really fast, in verse 24 he says, he's the creator. He's the creator that things are made, the God who made the world and all things in it. Isn't it amazing that the God who speaks planets into existence, the God who a planet will not move one centimeter off of its, 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 its axis or, its, or anything about it without God's permission, is the same God who knows how many hairs you have on your head. See, he said, let me introduce you to God. Let me introduce you to the Creator. Verse 25, not only that, but He is life. Nor is He served by human hands as though He needed anything, since He Himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. He not only created this world, He gave you life. You breathe because of him. I love the way he's doing this. In verse 26, then he says he's sovereign. He made, he made from one man uh, every nation and of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having, watch this, determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. See, Paul is saying, you know what? My God is sovereign. You, you, think, you think Caesar's sovereign? You think, you, you think you're, you're all your, you, let me tell you, sovereign. My God, the unknown God that you don't know that I'm introducing you to. In verse 27 then, he, he, he lets them know that there is some faith required, that they would see God, seek God uh, if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of you. Paul's saying, you're not going to touch him. 
you're not going to see him. You're not going to put your hands on him. It's going to require, and, 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 and I think what Paul is saying is, is that, you know, all your gods, you've made these images. Look, whenever, uh, have y'all ever been to India? You go to India. Bill, I know you go there. We, we, uh, you travel to India, and one of the things they do is they, they walk you through their God. We went to the temple town, and they walked us through, and they showed us uh, the, the, all of their different gods, okay? And I got to sit with the guru when he was sitting. He would sit up on this stage and this carpet, and when he's sitting there, he would advise you, and he would teach you if you wanted. And I got a personal invitation to go sit with him and to share uh, about Jesus with him. Before I did that, they walked me around and they showed me all their gods. And it's literally a temple. And so I'm, the guy's walking me around and it's a paper mache god. Now there were a couple of metal ones, but most of them were paper mache. And I looked at the, the guide and I, the guy with me, and I said, I mean, they're saying that's just a picture of, of, of an emblem of their god. And he's like, no, that's their god. And I'm like, he's made out of paper mache. I mean, I can, you can punch him and break him. I mean, how's that their God? See, what people really, really want is they want to touch and they want to feel. And folks, let me tell you something. They, they, they don't understand that, that there's a faith required in the things that are not seen and not felt, right? Paul's saying, you're not going to see or feel this. You're not going to grope. In verse 28 and 29, he, he, he continues there. In verse 29, watch what he says. I love this. He's not created. Being then the children of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and thought of man. Those of you who love your Bible like I do, just, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not smart enough to come up, but just, I just thought this. I wonder if when Paul was writing Romans 1, if he was thinking about Mars Hill. Remember Romans 1, the created, they worshiped the created rather than the creator with these images of, of, of the creation. And he talked about that, 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 that they worship these cre- creation and that no one is without, uh, without excuse, right? You remember him talking about that. I wonder when he wrote that, if he was thinking about Mars Hill and he was thinking about walking through Athens and seeing all of the, 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 the gods made of gold and all the different things. And Paul said, look, this, the God I'm telling you about is unknown, but he's not made by man's hand. I think that's wonderful. He then goes on in verse 30, therefore having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. See, Paul doesn't mince words with them. He gets to the fact that, you know what, you need to repent of this. Do you, and we all know this. We're, we're, most of us pastors, preachers, ministers, or, or at least we, people who understand the Bible, the, the, the gospel is confrontational. It, it will confront you. When I went to church in 1991, he was, I mean, he was, this guy, he preached so hard, both pointing fingers came out. I mean, he was, yeah, and you're going to go to hell. And I was sitting there going, I know, I know. And, it, and folks, it, it was, it did confront me, and it was tough. But I'm going to tell you something, it was the good news that I needed to hear. We, we don't have to soften it. We don't have to, well, now, you know, listen, just let the gospel be the gospel. And at the heart of the gospel, y'all, we need to repent. 
See, the reason I didn't have any peace is because I, I was at odds with God. God didn't make it that way. I did. I'm the one that sinned. I'm the one that messed up. The gospel's not difficult to share or to understand. I'll touch on that in a second. It confronts a sinner's need for forgiveness. At this core of what Paul shows us, the gospel is introducing Jesus, right? Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, introducing Jesus. That's what we do. He's the creator. He's sovereign. He's life. You need to repent and know him. And it's exactly, the, it's exactly what a sinner needs to hear in order to be forgiven. It's exactly what the lost person needs to be found. What a blind person needs to see, a dead person needs to become alive. So it begs the question, and I'm going to answer this for you. I was thinking to myself why I don't think people share the gospel. Okay? And, and look, they're, 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 I've had arguments with God. I've been off and had some time off and things and been tired and worn out and all those other things and thought, you know, God said, hey, John, I, I love the soul winner's creed. I don't ask everybody about Jesus. I ask Jesus about everybody, right? I've got to be open at all times. If he promised me to share, and I've committed to that, and sometimes he does it when it's not real convenient. But I'm telling you, for the most part, listen, when God prompts us to join him in what he's doing, it's a privilege to get to be to do what he wants us to do. It's a privilege. I, I, listen, I, I'm of the deep conviction when I, I, and I don't have to go to the grocery store a lot because my wife, she doesn't like me to go with her for lots of reasons. But otherwise, I don't. And the other, but if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna go to checkout, and now they have self checkout, but even then there's somebody there. But even the checkout, you know what? While they're scanning, and they're about to take my money, that's my time to talk to them. You want to get a telemarketer off the TV, off the phone, really fast with you? Tell them about Jesus. Tell them the gospel. They'll hang up so fast on you, it, your head will spin. Or if they don't, they'll hear the good news, right? Man, we, there's, there's always opportunities. There's always a chance. And it doesn't have to be always a confrontation, man. Sometimes it's just a, hey, we're about to, we're about to, pray. We're about to eat our meal. Before we do, we're going to pray. How can I pray for you? Th we have a restaurant. Y'all have walk-on. Yeah, y'all got walk-ons over here. And every, every time I'm in there, I'm those ladies tell me, hey, Pastor John, hey, you, you're going to pray for me. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to pray for you right for my meal. They know. They know I'm going to pray for them. So why don't we share the gospel? I, I'm gonna, I, I don't know all the reasons, but here's, here's a couple that I thought about. I think, I think one of the reasons why we don't share, and, and, and maybe y'all do. Maybe it's your people that don't. I think they're fearful. I think they're fearful of being rejected. Don't we all, in, in, in the core of who we are, hate rejection, right? And so it's this idea that if I share, I might mess up or I might, they might reject me. Well, let me just, I always tell my folks, don't worry about messing up. God's grace is sufficient to cover up your bad theology. He'll fix it. Don't worry about it. You just share. Not only that, but you know what? If they reject, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting the gospel. They're rejecting Jesus. So, man, get in there and go. I'm telling you, I get rejected more than I, more than I, I see you know, someone come to Christ. But that's okay. I'm planting the seeds, right? And maybe you'll come along and water it. Maybe someone else will come along and harvest it. So I think it's fear. I think sometimes, this isn't very nice, but I, I think we're just lazy. It's a lot of work to be involved with lost people. They want a lot of time. They have a lot of needs. Uh, it just takes a lot of time. It's work, and it can be hard work. I'd much rather go play tennis with people that, that, from my church. They're, they're, they're more like me. I, I, I don't, I, I'm more comfortable with them. I, I like being around them, and I do, but I, I specifically make 
so that I can have matches against people because I'm trying to develop relationships. And folks, I have to work at it. And then I have to, then I have to take them to dinner and I have to go to lunch and hang out with them, right? And it's a wonderful thing that I get to invest in people. I, I think sometimes we don't because we're confused. I think we're confused about our mission. Now, hear me out on this. How many of you are pastors or church ministers? Hear me out on this one. And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just... I, listen, I, I'm, not, I, I'm not here to, to do anything, to toot my horn or anything, but I'm going to tell you, I was talking to somebody the other day, and uh, I'll, I won't name drop, but they, they called me and they said, we need to know a couple things about your church because what we're experiencing, and Brother Steve, you may know this better than I do, this is a, a national guy, and he said that what we're experiencing is, is we're afraid that we could, we, we could be a half million to a million people down post-COVID in Southern Baptist churches. And he even talked about the percentage of churches that aren't even back even to pre-COVID numbers. And he said, then here you are in Benton, and you guys are, 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 are growing like crazy. What's going on? And so, folks, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't have all the answers. I, honestly, I don't. I'm not telling you that. I, I tell you, we baptize literally every week. I, I have some church members here, Eddie and Jay, Wait, they, they, They'll tell you, it's every week. It's every week. And it's not just kids. It's not just, it's everybody. We, we, we will baptize anytime because we've got soul winners. We've got people out winning their faith. We have events where we present the gospel. Everything we do is about the gospel. The key to church growth is a church that goes is a church that grows. And if you'll take the gospel to the streets, I'm telling you, you can't hold them. I don't care what side. Look, I pastored a church of 40 people. Grew it to 250 going door to door soul winning. It works. And sometimes we lose sight of what really we're supposed to be doing. You, you with me? Uh, Alex, let, let, me, let, me, let me do this for you. I was looking on Twitter. You'll like this, Steve. I was looking on Twitter, and y'all have a preacher boy. I've got a couple of preacher boys. You know, I, I used to hate when guys called me their preacher boy, but now I call them my preacher boys. And I, I had a preacher boy, and he was tweeting with some other guys and debating Molinism. And he had bragged on there about how many hours he had spent studying the idea and he now was really wanting to really the full merits of Molinism. Well, I called him and I said, hey, I saw your tweet about Molinism. And he said, well, it's Molinism. And I said, oh, sorry. So it's Molinism. Um, and I said, so tell me about that. And he said, yeah, man, man, this, this guy and, and, and uh, a, a priest and he just, you know, the whole idea, you know, and it's, it's the whole idea of election and, and all these other things. And I, and I interrupted him. I said, whoa, what, what, what happened? And he said, what do you mean what happened? I said, where, 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 where's, where's the soul winner that I knew? Well, man, I'll just tell you, I, I, the deeper thing sometime, and I said, can I tell you something? You couldn't be on my staff if you studied Molinism. If you knew and spent the amount of time you did on Molinism, you wouldn't be on my staff. Folks, we've lost the goal. We've, we, we're, we're Molinism? A, a, a French priest who had some ideas that we're going to... We, and, and I could do that, but I could really throw out some other isms and really, really offend you, but I won't. We've lost what really, really matters. And that's soul winning. L listen to this statement. This is, this is original to me, but I'm going to use it. If you think about every picture we have in heaven, okay, 
every time, holy, holy, holy. They always, you know, in the, in the, in the, in the, in the ancient, in the Hebrew, you'd say something three times. If I want to express something to you, I, I, I raise my voice. In the writings, you, you repeated it to emphasize it. Holy, holy. The focus is always upon the throne or upon the, it's on the Lord, right? Except for one time. The Bible says that heaven stops and has a party about something that happens here on earth. Let me tell you what it's not. It's not those who know the merits of Molinism. It's not those who, 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 who know the Bible front side, back side, upside, downside. That's important, but that's not what causes heaven to stop. It, it's not even how much money people give. It's one soul coming to faith in Christ. That's what stops heaven. So I've just written in my, my daily, I still carry a daily calendar. I know I'm an old guy. And, and, I, and it just simply says, be a party planner. I, I, that's what I want to be about. I, I want to make sure that heaven stops and has a party, and I want to be involved in that. So I think we don't share because we get confused. I think we're fearful. I think we're lazy. I think we get confused about the mission. And then, unfortunately, I think we're also indifferent. I think we, we've lost the fact that lost people really are hurting. Lost people really are headed to a place called hell. That we are, we've lost the fact that the greatest thing that can ever happen to someone is they come to faith in Jesus Christ. I think we've, we've become indifferent to that. I think maybe, again, not y'all, but we've got to remind our people. My folks will tell you, they get tired of hearing the same. I tell them constantly that, that, that look, hell is hot and time is short. What are you doing? Let's go. We, we have a job. We have a mandate to get out there and to get things done. We at Cypress Baptist Church, we believe in the, in the Word of God. I, we, we have what we call three non-negotiables. The Word of God. It is not, this book doesn't contain the Word of God. It is the Word of God. We don't, we don't need anything else. We got this, all right? And, and we're big on that. We also have a, a felt relationship as one of our non-negotiables. We're going to be a relationship people. Paul wrote a book to a guy named Philemon about his slave Onesimus just to mend a relationship. We're going to be about relationships. We're our, our, everywhere you go in our church, loving God, loving people. We believe that it starts here, then it affects here. And we're going to love people. But listen, the, third, the, 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 the second non-negotiable that we have is that we're going to be about soul winning. We're going to even err towards soul winning. Is discipleship important? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, I already told you the word. But if we get caught that, and I'm telling you, when the budgets come across, and I don't do a lot with budgets, and Eddie here, and he'll tell you that, but whenever I, but what I do is when they come across my desk, I'll use a big red pen and say, where's the evangelism, and kick it back to them. I need to know where the soul winning's at in your, in your calendar and in your budget to all my staff. Because that's where we're going to err. We're going to make sure that people hear the good news. The good news is, is that, our folks do. And I'm not bragging on them. They just do. Not all of them. A bunch of them just, they, they surprise me. Uh, I won't tell you with my big surprise. Keith's been making fun of me with that. But another group got together and they, they wanted to take me on a duck hunt. And so they like to take the preacher on a duck hunt because they know I can't shoot and they get to shoot my limit probably, but that's all right. And so they take me on this duck hunt. And we're in it for a couple days and we're riding in these side-by-sides and most of my guys, you know, we get up top in the rack and then the, the guides drive down here. But one day there was an open seat 
and the guide was by himself, so I, I took that open seat. And I began to talk to the young man about duck hunting. And then began to talk to him about his family. And then I asked him, I said, do, do you go to church anywhere? And he said, yeah, I, I do. And I said, well, where, where do you go? He said, well, just up down around the round road here, we're Catholic. And he began to tell me about the merits of Catholicism. He's Catholic, he's Catholic, Catholic. And I said, man, that's great. I said, let me tell you something. I said, I've got a lot. I'm a Baptist preacher. He goes, I, I heard you as a preacher. And, and I said, yeah, yeah. And he said, you know what? And I said, uh, I've got a lot of Baptists that think they're going to heaven because they're a Baptist. But they're not. You see, that's religion, son, and religion won't get you anything. But let me tell you about a relationship. A relationship with God that can only, be, only can happen through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. By repenting of your sins. I began to talk to him, began to talk to him, began to talk to him. We're driving the deal. Man, he gets just stone silent. We, we're just about to stop, get back to the trucks. And I said, man, have you ever truly given your life to Christ? And he said, well, I, I, I've been confirmed. And I said, well, I, I, I'm not sure I understand all of that. But I will tell you this, that the most important thing you'll ever do is give your life to Christ. Now, let me tell you, two things that happened there. I get out of the buggy, I'm grabbing my gun, talking to my guys, and there's 14 of us on this trip. They go to my church. And uh, two things happened. First of all, I planted a seed with a young man. But I had no idea because of the noise. I didn't think they could hear me. I didn't think they could hear me because they're, they're up above on top. But because of the noise... For some reason, it was like I was shouting, and they were hearing me everything, and they got out, and they said, huh, preacher really does share his faith all the time, doesn't he? And I'm like, yeah. And they laughed and were picking on They were just picking because they know I do. And that was the two things that happened there. Was, first of all, I planted a seed. Second of all, I showed my people I practice what I preach. And folks, it's contagious. During COVID, we baptized um, about 300 people that year. Almost every Sunday. That, did you hear that? During COVID, we had one of the greatest harvests that we've ever seen of souls. I'm going to tell you about one of them real quickly. There was a, a, a guy in our church named Trey. Trey was a, uh, 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 is a believer. He's one of our Sunday school teachers. Trey's been on him about sharing his faith because I asked my Sunday school teachers over and over again. I asked them last night, can someone get saved in your Sunday school class? If not, come see me. we got a problem. So I asked that, and Trey came to me and said one day, and he said, man, preacher, I just don't know if I'm real confident sharing, your, sharing my faith. I said, well, let's work on it. And we began to work on it. We began to talk about it. We began to get, build his confidence up. Well, during COVID, uh, he would have uh, driveway meetings with their next-door neighbor. They, they didn't know their next-door neighbors, but they decided that COVID would be a good time to get to know them. And that they had a real burden because it was a young family, had young kids. He thought, well... I'll just use this opportunity to get to know them. So they, they, would, they would meet in the driveway, you know, when we were quarantined and all that stuff, and began to talk to them. We asked Trey, Trey's in construction, so we asked him during quarantine, just as soon as we got open back, he came up and built uh, a little deal in our, in our foyer for us, and so he got this guy to come help him. And he just invested in him and invested in him and invested in him. What, he, what I didn't know was that his next-door neighbor served several tours in Afghanistan and Iraq and was about to kill himself when COVID hit. And he didn't want his family to go through COVID alone, so he decided he was going to ride COVID through, then he would kill himself. I never forget the morning he sat right up there, excuse me, right over here. And the morning he got up, and, I, and as I was preaching, you know, guys, when you're preaching, I've got sanctuary, and, but I'm telling you, he was the one listening the most. I always tell our people, you know we can see you, right? 
They're like, you can? I'm like, well, yeah, you see me, I see you. It works that way. And he sat right there, and he, he listened the most. And, he, and whenever I tell you he wept, y'all, he didn't just have tears, he had snot. And I'm like, man, I give the invitation. This guy's coming forward. Woo, I got him. I gave the invitation, which I do every Sunday, and he didn't come forward. I was like, well, you know, I'm, and I'm, I got, look, I, we give an invitation every Sunday because I got saved an invitation. I'm always going to give an invitation. And he didn't come forward, and I walked away and didn't feel like a loser. No, I did what I was supposed to. I presented the gospel. I didn't even get home, and my phone rang, and it was Trey saying, hey, he's over here at my house, and he's ready to get saved. I need you to get over here. And I said, I said well, Trey, you lead him to Christ. And he literally said, you think I can do that? And I said, man, you better do it. Go, man. Today, Jamie, his wife, Jamie's sister, their kids, his wife's, I mean, his sister's kids, never, ever miss church. Matter of fact, they're working in kids' church. They're radically saved. He's one of the best soul winners I've got now. And he's a machine, and we're working on his dad, so y'all pray for his dad. There was a lady, uh, there is a lady in our church, precious, precious lady. Her name is Carla. Now listen to, listen to her, listen to what she does every week. She's a nurse practitioner at an office. She is a professor at Northwestern State, and she's the head of uh, physical health for our mental hospital there in Shreveport. Okay, brilliant lady. Holds several degrees, super smart, brilliant lady. She moved next door to Daryl and Tookie. That's a real lady's name, Tookie. And moved next door to them. And Daryl would uh, invite her to church all the time, and Tookie would go over and, and invite her to church, and she had some kids, and they'd love on the kids, and all kinds of kids were in high school and stuff, but they'd just love on them and do whatever they could. And always invite them to church. Always, Daryl went over and fixed some stuff for her that she needed fixed. Tookie went over and helped her with a, with a meal one time because she had some friends coming over. So they were really just investing in her and doing everything they could, always under the guise of, hey, would you come to church with us? And Carla's like, I'm too busy. And she listed all the things she was too busy doing. And she really was busy. One day, Daryl was walking out the front door Carla, next door, comes out. She's about to get in her car, and Daryl says, hey. She says, hello. He said, how you doing today? And Daryl said she just sat in the middle of the driveway and began to weep. And she was just weeping, and Daryl ran inside and got Tookie, and they ran over there. And they began to love on Carla and began to minister to her. And they finally came to the conclusion, finally realized that, you know what, Carla, all the stuff you and she, everything was a mess in her life. And they said, listen, we don't know if everything's going to get correct or get straight, but let me tell you what, you do, what we do know is you need Jesus. She gave her life to Christ. She's now one of the super, matter of fact, every time we go to Rome or Greece or, something, or, or Israel, she's right there. She can't wait to go. She is a, loves to study her Bible, loves to tell others about Jesus Christ. The gospel works. If, if we'll use it. I tell my people all the time to quit watching so much Fox. <laughs> I know, I know, y'all gonna get after me. I, 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 here's, here's what I said. I said, y'all, y'all, y'all listen to Hannity all day, then you watch him, and then you watch Ingram and others, and then you go to bed mad. Right? 
Everything's a conspiracy. Everything's out there. Get them, kill them. And I just told my people, Bill, I did. I said, y'all quit watching so much Fox. Now don't switch over to CNN. Oh, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But y'all, this world's a mess. It's a mess. It, it is, it's so dark out there. I, 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 everything I watch, everything I see, man, it's dark. I'm, I'm not trying to, trying to wax eloquence up here just to get your attention. You know, it's weird. You know that being a Christian is, 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 is so frowned upon right now. I, I couldn't believe I was so, ex not excited, but whenever the young man DeMar got hurt in, for Buffalo Bills and we celebrated prayer, right? And then you watched the, the Hollywood star that played Hawkeye and he got almost lost his life and they didn't celebrate prayer. It was all about, man, happy for you. Man, good vibes for you, dude. You know, everything. And it was, no, just pray for him. But we have to look around and say, man, things are dark. They're dark. But let me just tell you something. The darker the darkness gets, the brighter our light is. And we've got it, y'all. The gospel works when we share it. I know, I know, I know that, that, that I'm preaching to the choir but you've got to get, we've got to mobilize our folks. Look, that was the plan. You see, what happened was, is that a long, long time ago, that, that what happened was, is someone shared the gospel. I love what the brother preached earlier. And, just, and you know what? He had a baton passed to him. He passed it on to the next guy and the next guy and the next guy. And in 1991, Easter morning at Meadowwood Baptist Church in Midwest City, Oklahoma, I received the baton. And folks, I'm running with it now. And the only way we don't win is if I don't pass it. I've got to be faithful to continue to pass this baton and to take the gospel to the world. Your folks, listen to me, your folks will follow your lead and they'll do it if you stay on them about it and encourage them to do it. Celebrate, celebrate, celebrate the salvations. They'll love it. They'll love seeing it because at the end of the day, nothing will waken you and fire your church up like the baptismal water stirring. Father, please, please help us to be soul winners. God, at the end of the day, I, I pray for the churches represented here. God, I pray that they would uh, just absolute, God, you'd bless everything that goes on. But God, I pray that we would each and all understand the value of a lost man coming to faith in Christ, a blind woman who sees, Father, a, a dead person coming alive because of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the good news. Thank you for these dear people. God bless Louisiana Baptists in Jesus' name. Amen.